You already know that sleep is important, but not just any sleep will do. In fact, there's one particular sleep phase that's responsible for most of your body's daily repair, for hunger and for weight loss hormones, even how you manage your energy and a lot of other things. And if you don't get enough of that phase of sleep, you'll probably always struggle with cravings, slow metabolism, premature aging, or even worse, all the stuff that I dealt with as a young man before I figured out biohacking. That phase of sleep is called deep sleep, and barely any of us are getting the amount that you really want. One big reason for that is because 80% of human beings today are magnesium deficient. That's a big problem because magnesium cranks up GABA in your body, it helps you relax at a cellular level, and it enables deeper sleep. Plus, it keeps stress and anxiety in check, and those are things that can ruin your sleep. Now, before you grab just any magnesium supplement, here's a tip. You need all seven forms of magnesium. Most supplements out there will give you one or maybe two forms. That's why I take Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers every morning and actually every night. It's got all seven forms of magnesium you need for less stress and for better sleep, and it's all in one bottle. And it's the most bioavailable form I've found. You can notice a huge change in stress levels and sleep quality and how refreshed you feel during the day. I certainly do. The difference is massive. So check it out for yourself. Go to magbreakthrough.com Dave. Use code Dave10 and they'll give you 10% off. If plant-based or even dairy-based protein powders give you apocalyptic digestive issues, you're not alone. A lot of protein supplements have high amounts of lactose, which definitely can increase gas, and a lot of them have other additives that you really don't want in your body. That's why I like Paleo Valley Bone Broth Protein. It's got zero junk, just high-quality collagen. And here's what's great about collagen. Yes, it's got a lot of protein, but it's also important for repairing your gut lining. That's because it has amino acids like glycine and L-glutamine that reduce inflammation and promote healing even in the gut. In fact, in a study, 13 of 14 participants who had collagen saw a reduction in bloating and overall digestive issues. Paleo Valley bone broth protein is made from 100% grass-fed and grass-finished regeneratively raised beef, just like you'd expect from me. And it also has filtered water. There's no dairy, there's no weird ingredients, just pure collagen goodness. I love mixing it in my morning danger coffee. Try it for yourself and get the protein you need without the gut issues that are out there with protein powders. Get 15% off Paleo Valley bone broth protein at paleovalley.com slash Dave. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Formerly Bulletproof Radio. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Today's episode is one where I'm going to use all sorts of words that might mean other things to make sure that our AI overlords are pleased within their bleep sirship algorithms so that everything that I say on the show doesn't get uh, suppressed. Uh, because we're going to talk about the fourth F word. If you're a longtime listener, or maybe not, there are four things that run your biology in order before you have a chance to think. And it goes like this. Is it scary? If so, run away from kill or hide. That's fear. Second thing is, can I eat it? If so, eat all of it. That would be food. The next F word, if, I, if it's not scary and I can't eat it, what else could I do to it that would keep the species alive forever? It's also an F word. 
Can you guys think of what it is? Oh, no, it's not the one you thought of. It's fertility, but yeah, it's the other one too. And we're going to not talk about sort of the uh, the more... Uh, geez, how do I say things without saying them in the world that we live in today where you're not allowed to just talk freely on podcasts? Uh, but basically, it's just the, not the raunchy version of it, but the, the spiritual side of it. And then there's, of course, the final one, which is friend, which is how do we form a community and things like that. So we're going to talk about that third F word, but... We're going to talk about the fact that you have a blueprint, everyone does, and that there are five erotic types that you can turn on and you can fulfill, and you probably have one dominant type. And as I said, dominant, our guest today, I saw her smile. Um, She's been on the stage at the biohacking conference and is truly a, a leader in the field of what I'm going to call Uh, somatic sexology, uh, for lack of a better word, but the felt sense of what happens in intimate relationships. And Jaya is hilarious. She's very, very well studied. And we're going to talk about your erotic blueprint, which is something she has invented and something that I found to be very, very useful and valuable in my own life uh, as a guy who's dating. Jaya, welcome. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm so curious about all these things that are so hard to talk about because that is my life. (laughs) Exactly. I've definitely had a few interviews that were a little spicy. And, you know, this isn't like in a titillating way. This is just, hey, like, let's talk about what people actually do, uh, including a guy who did the largest survey ever of what people fantasize about. And you found some really interesting things there. And I look at, at, at sex and intimacy as a form of nourishment, as important as food, as important 100%. as breathing, right? But it's not taught that way. It's almost like well, you should be ashamed of eating, so you only eat kale, and you should be ashamed of sex, so you, I guess, only watch porn. I don't even know how the, the world is supposed to work, but it feels like that's the direction it's going. Why are people so weirded out by this stuff? I think we're weirded out about sex because it's, it is, like you mentioned, a topic we can't even talk about. And then we have to use strange words to talk about it. I don't know about you, but when you were little, you know, it's like, oh, don't do the down there. Don't touch the thing. And there's like some weird word. So we can't even talk about the topic. And then when we can't talk about something, it goes underground. And then we develop shame around the topic. And we've got whole institutions that create shame around it. And I actually think you know, it's kind of like Alan Watts when he talked about the the taboo of knowing who you are. I feel like there's these taboo things and the taboo things often lead to our own empowerment and health and wellness. And we put things that lead to our own personal awakenings in the places that we've deemed taboo. And so we build whole structures and systems around them and say, you can't do this thing. And it is so odd to me because it's like, okay, you want to learn an instrument. You go learn an instrument. And there's no shame about it. But when we go to learn about sexuality, it's like, okay, now there's all this weirdness about just learning a skill that we can do to make our lives more pleasurable, more easeful, more fueled. How did you get into this yourself? Well, I often say it started when I was really young. I was the kid who um, told everybody, you know, your parents are telling you about the stork thing. And <laughs> that's not not it. And let me tell you what the real lowdown is on this whole thing. And <laughs> um, yeah, I was the one who you didn't want your kids to be friends with because I was really into truth telling and ah. truth telling about what this thing called sex was all about. And when I was little, I wanted to be Dr. Ruth when I grew up. 
it was she was like this inspiration to me and I told my parents I wanted to go into fertility speaking of using the word fertility for all this um, and so <laughs> what, did, what did your parents think about that <laughs> Um, they thought it was cool. My mom was really open. So she's like a super free spirit. But my dad, on the other hand, was a super religious guy, you know, so that was a bit like he I grew up in kind of like backwoods, Ohio. And so we'd say things like, now, don't go, go get in swell bellied now. You know, so, <laughs> How do I not so know like, that one? <laughs> yeah, no swell bellied. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, I grew up with this really interesting dichotomy of a mom who was really free and open about everything and then religious upbringing where it was bad and wrong. And so I, I've always had that dichotomy in my life. So I go to church and sing in the church choir after I was an exotic dancer the moment I turned 18. I was like, I could not wait to become an exotic dancer. And so I would go out all night dancing and then go to church and sing in the morning. And so I've always had this really interesting blend of sexuality and spirituality. And how do we reconcile these two things where, and there's not all forms of spirituality say sex is bad and wrong. And it's really interesting to actually look at the texts and look at things that were really written about sex and how it could be utilized for our own spiritual awakenings. And so I became very, very interested in Tantra. I was like 19 and I was just like, give me everything. Cause it was the one place that I found where sex and spirituality were not taken apart, but were actually linked together. It's been my experience throughout life, both from studying ancient manuscripts and just from living my life that they're intimately linked. Absolutely. And uh, a woman that I was once partnered with uh, many years ago, her Catholic priest told her when she was 18 that sex is how you meet God, mm. which coming from a Catholic priest was shocking. Mm, he was trying to remove, yeah, he was trying to remove shame from it and just saying it's okay. And funny enough, there's a study, 20% of people say that they meet God during orgasm, at least occasionally, even though their partners don't know. So it really is a deeply fulfilling thing when it's done right for you. And it's different what the, when it's done right, looks like because different people have different buttons and you push your buttons on the other person, it probably isn't going to work for them. So you got to push their buttons and your teachings on that are pretty freaking awesome. That's why you were at the biohacking conference, by the way, guys, you go to biohackingconference.com to get tickets for the one in May in Dallas, which will be our, our 10th one. But the thing is, we talked about it on stage. You have a survey on your website, which is free or a quiz that tells you your blueprint. What is that? Just so people know it, because people who are at their computers will probably do it right yeah, now. Yeah, blueprintbreakthrough.com. All right. And that, again, guys, that's free. It'll tell you your, your uh, primary erotic blueprint type. And uh, I, uh, I would encourage you to do the, the, you pay a little bit more and we don't have any agreement or financial thing or whatever for that. But it'll give you like all your percentage breakdowns. I like to think of it kind of like love languages, but it's like for the bedroom. And I don't know if you like that characterization or not, but. Yeah, I do. I, I, I love the love languages and I love all these personality typing tests. It was kind of where this inspiration came for, for the five blueprints, I, I, Enneagram and the disc profile and really into all of those. And I thought, hmm, like nobody's really put out like a personality typing test for eroticism. And I just started paying attention with my clients and noticing patterns and starting to notice how people were wired erotically and what really turned them on, almost like what language they spoke of when it came to their own arousal. 
And in paying attention, I started to notice these same things showing up over and over and over again in my practice. You mentioned me being a somatic sexologist. And one of the things that's different between, say, a sex therapist, where you might go and just talk about sex, is that I actually work um, you know, hands-on with people. So I've got somebody in my office on the massage table and I'm helping his partner, you know, he's having trouble getting an erection and I'm helping his partner working with him. And it wasn't in touching him that his arousal was, it was in like off his body and his eyes opened really big and he started shaking on the table and he started having these big orgasmic waves and she's looking at me and they're both like, what is going on? And I, I just said, he's wired, energetic. And that was kind of my first really big aha around, oh, wow, like there are people whose eroticism is in the longing, it's in the yearning, it's in the not touching, it's in this whole other realm than others. And then the next day I was like, okay, now we've got all the, and then I just started seeing these five types lay out. And I spent really five years really massaging that in office hands-on, like, okay, well, now who's this person and who's that person and working with the different couples who felt like they had mismatch or incompatibility. And then it just really started to solidify. And then when I started speaking about it, people were like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So it just started becoming this bigger and bigger thing that was really landing for people. I like to think that I've done a pretty good job of spotting things before they happen and doing my best to shine light on them. And I think uh, your work here is is really foundational. And so I, I've just had so much value from it. Since we last spoke on stage at the conference, uh, I did uh, one of Kimmy Inch's programs where she brought in one of, your, one of your trained and certified erotic blueprint coaches. And we spent almost a whole day in a small group going through and really understanding each of the uh, erotic blueprints. And it, it's... It's remarkable because once you know that, I've even gone on dates where I'll ask the person, hey, um, will you just do this survey real quick? <laughs> and I'll tell you, <laughs> it, it sure does make it a lot easier to set up a good date if you know that that person is essential. You're like, all right, fine. They need you know, candles and good lighting and expensive silverware uh, versus <laughs> there and energetic, in which case I have energetic stuff. I know how to do that. But like, I, I know how to play each of them because I am a shapeshifter and one other type too that we talked about on stage. Um, but and those are primary. We all have the ability to do all of them. But it was like, oh my gosh. And even if you know, I was in a long-term relationship with someone, knowing where they are, and then w- the other ones they maybe don't know yet, but you can play with them and see how they fit. It's, it kind of gave me a map. And so I, I just think your work is, is remarkable. And I've studied Tantra not as much as you, and I've studied Taoism, and I've practiced semen retention and tried to disprove it and published all the data, pretty open about that stuff. It's part of biohacking. It's part of the environment around you is your lover or lovers. <laughs> and if you ignore that and says, I'm going to upgrade myself in every way, but I'm not going to look down there. I, I think you might be doing sex. <laughs> <laughs> I think sex is kind of the final frontier for a lot of people in it personal is. growth and biohacking, mm-hmm. you know, in these realms, because it's like the one place we don't want to look, but often it's the place where we get a lot of rapid growth because it's where um, so many things stem from. And so when we're not looking at our sexuality, we're missing such a huge piece of our own wellness, of our growth, of our spirituality. So many things are linked to it. And I think it's a fast track, you know, like Tantra, um, in Agora Tantra, they talk about like, okay, well, there's meditating in the temple, but there's then meditating in a cremation ground. Which one is 
the faster path, the householder path or the tantric path or the like everything's perfect path. And so a lot of people talk about in these paths that seem harder or, and, and I don't want to say like harder, there can be ease and there can be lots of pleasure in them. But these paths that seem more taboo, it can be a much faster path to our awakening and aliveness and wellness. Well, let's, uh, let me ask you the hard question here. Yes. When I was in Nepal studying meditation with masters and going to a monastery, I went into Kathmandu and I just randomly met a person on the street. And she was a former Berkeley philosophy professor who had read the old texts and decided that she could become enlightened in a single lifetime, what we would call fast path. So she was living in a cave, meditating for 12 hours a day with a Nepali family who would feed her. Uh, and she had just come down into town in order to get some dental work done. And I'm like, is this real? I just randomly <laughs> ran into this person. Yes, it was real. So amazing. Right. And so that's like fast path. You can do it. And I, I doubt that was the tantric path. It was probably the I'm alone in a cave path. Mm-hmm. But all fast paths that I'm aware of in my training come with greater risks. You know, you might 100%. get enlightened, but you might go batshit crazy. hundred so percent. Okay. So if, if you're on a fast path that involves somatic sex and somatic, just say interventions, because all anything somatic, massage is somatic. Anything that's felt in your body is part of the, the soma. So, you know, if, if I was to go all in on Tantra and conscious kink and all that kind of stuff, what percentage increase in you might go crazy would I be facing? I don't know what the exact percentage is. <laughs> but it's higher, isn't it? <laughs> but it is higher. You know, it's interesting just talking about the risk. I think a lot of people just, it's not for them. And, and it does come with risk and it does come with have somebody who can help you through it, you know, have somebody who can guide you, um, who's been there, who's done it, who knows the risk, because absolutely, it's like that edge of madness. You can put yourself right up against that edge of madness. I'll tell you a quick story of something crazy that happened to me in Paris. Wild. I'll say wild, not necessarily crazy. But I was just in Paris over the summer. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of like you, you know, a lot of this tantric practice, a lot of breath work, a lot of psychedelic work, like all these different things, because I've been a seeker most of my life. And I'm sitting in a cafe in Paris, had not had any psychedelics, had not been doing any breath work, nothing, like none of those things. And all year I've been like, I don't want any tool. I just want to have these mystical experiences and an ecstatic orgasmic experience without anything, without sex, without psychedelics, without it. And I've been asking for it all year. And I'm sitting in this cafe in Paris and all of a sudden it starts to happen. And I'm going, uh-oh. I'm in the middle of Paris. <laughs> this thing's happening. And you're just having orgasms? I'm just like, I start to go into like a complete, um, like a, I don't even know how to describe this state of consciousness, ego dissolution in the like middle of this cafe. Kind of like a like samadhi. Dissolving into everything? Dissolving into everything. Couldn't walk. They wow. had to carry me back, walk me back to my place. And I thought, okay, maybe somebody dosed me, you know, like I'll, I'll, get, I'll get through this. Somebody might have dosed me. I thought, okay, eight hours, I'll ride it out. It's the next morning, still going on. Mm-hmm. They take me to the doctor because they're just like, I mean, my vitals, <laughs> my vitals stayed fine, but I was like, what the hell is going on? And um, didn't go away. The doctor's like, well, maybe you should take some benzodiazepines. I'm like, no, I think this is no. something else. I don't want to stop it. Let it go no, on. Awakening. 
you know, four days later, still going on five days later, still going on six days. It goes past a week, two weeks still going on. And I start to panic, you know, at some point I'm just like, am I ever coming back? And you see the, like the, um, attachments you still have and all of these things of like, no, but my son and no, but my work in the world, but no, are you just, like, are you just pelvic thrusting and moaning all the time or like, give me a little uh, bit more detail here. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, I was in like, uh, ecstatic, like postures and hand gestures oh. are happening. So, so, and so this is a Kundalini awakening. Like then, a, okay. Yes. Yeah. And, and then ego dissolution would happen oh. singing, and then there would be like, oh my God, I'm stepping up to the thing I always ask for, but oh my, no, I don't want it. Let me go back. Let me just be a teacher. Let me, like, let me wow. have my life back and, um, you know, couldn't eat and sleep. It was, and so when you talk about this, like going into these, into madness, I mean, ecstasy, ecstasy is right on that edge. And I was right on that edge. Like, am I going into madness? Is this Samadhi? like all of these things. And so when I came back, it was just like, get everything checked, get my blood work checked. Is there something wrong with my <laughs> brain? So, you know, like, even you were questioning this. Okay. <laughs> I was completely questioning it. And, and so, you know, and all the doctors, I, Boulder's really cool. I live in Boulder. Yeah. And so they're just like, oh my gosh, no. I was there to speak. I would have said hi. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> they're like, no, I think this is just a spiritual experience. Like there's nothing wrong with you. And the more I could rest into like, that's what it was. I mean, light shows, geometry, everywhere I went, it was just, I couldn't drive. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't wow. function for a while. And then, it, and then it started to calm down. But like, it was quite, so yeah, absolutely. The fast track has its risks or, or these desires for these things. It's like, okay, I'm like really careful for what I wish for. And, and it taught me so much. And I still have, you know, like, you talk about upgrade. It's like, okay, my baseline is different. Everything, my whole operating system is completely different after this experience. So yeah, sex can take you these places. So what, what brought the, I have to ask you this way, what turned <laughs> on that experience? We have no idea. We have well, no idea. Well, sitting at a cafe and boom. I'm sitting in a cafe. I hadn't even been doing any practices or anything because I was on vacation and uh, with my son. And it was just like, and that was the scary part. Even though I'd been asking for it, it was like so scary because it's like, oh, if you take a psychedelic, I know that that caused it. If I if I have sex and I go into these states of consciousness where I'm expanded, that's normal for me. You know? right. so, yeah, or breathwork class or, you know, drumming or any of these things that can take us into these ecstasies. But that was that was one of the scariest ones because there was nothing, nothing, you know, I put in quotes that mm. brought it on. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. 
Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. It's interesting. Sometimes being in a certain place can do that. Whether it's a, a past life thing or the, the energy on the planet is different there on that day. A lot of my spiritual teachers have, have mentioned things like that. So you could have just you know stepped into the right place. Uh, yeah, one of my, my therapists said that exact same thing. She's like, you were just in a place and time and who knows exactly what you're saying. So mysteries. Uh, it's been my experience. There, there are definitely some places on the planet. Like if I go there, something weird's going to happen. And, you know, I could, I could make up a story why I could believe the story that I see in my, you know, spiritual journeying, or I could just say, I've noticed this pattern and all of those are valid. Like you just, you don't know, but you do, you just start seeing, you start seeing patterns if you work with hundreds of people or thousands in your case, uh, which led you to, to do this. And I, I appreciate the really, just frank and honest thing you know, that that can happen. It can happen from breath work. Uh, when I I learned uh, art of living years ago uh, with uh, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, and I did it religiously for like five plus years every morning, fifteen minutes of breath work in a week, an hour longer. But they warned you like, don't do the long kriya. It's called. Don't do it every day because you'll float away and you won't be able to work. Like, like it, right. it's, not, it's not a good thing unless you're with, with people. Uh, do we have that risk with, you know, especially some of the really, the really advanced tantric and, and conscious kink practices? I mean, you can, it, it feels like you're taking heavy duty psychedelics, but you're not. It's just your body. I mean, if you do that for two hours a day, are you going to sort of float off into reality and have problems? Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on the person. So for me, I talk about in my book um, a story of this experience where someone was, we were doing breath work, we were making love, and he decided to put his third eye against my vulva, like pressing it really hard. Mm -hmm. And it felt yeah. like my whole pelvis opened up. And I started laughing hysterically and crying mm -hmm. hysterically. And like the whole, and then I just disintegrated oh. completely. It was a poof, nothingness. Mm -hmm. Into so complete though, nothingness. Right? So good. It's like that's the best kind of sex for me, but I'm an energetic blueprint. Yeah. So like that. I love that. And and so and I'm laughing. And then I start to kind of come back. And and it was like I experienced the moment when we were stars. Like yeah. I was a star. And I so I called it remember I'm a star gasm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but you know, I've been cultivating this for 30 years since I was a teenager. I've been cultivating these things and cultivating using breath work during sex and cultivating. And I and I joked with him that night. I said, This is why I never took psychedelics as a kid, was because as soon as I found sex, I was like, Well, what I don't need, I don't need to take psychedelics. Like I'm having these really big expanded states of consciousness. And and I think that's a taboo topic too. People don't want to touch is blending psychedelics with sexuality. Then you got really two really powerful 
And that was something, you know, tantricas talk about Soma and there's the Mythuna rituals that had all the forbiddens in it. And, um, and so I think that's also a really interesting topic. And as a person who I think you and I have that in common of like loving to explore ourselves. Okay, well, what does this do? And what are the metrics on it? I'll try everything <laughs> at least once and probably twice in case I did it wrong the first time. <laughs> yeah, that's always my rule. It's at least twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, it's some things like I wouldn't be into that, but okay, maybe I am. Because right? how yeah. would you know until you try it? You know, it's all stories. Exactly. And the same thing with kink. Like I had an experience where I went to somebody and I was like, let's do expanking. Like I really wanted somebody to take me into those states of consciousness, like subspace. Mm-hmm. And let's let's do something where I actually let go enough to yeah, it, trust. It's somebody. hard if you've never done that. You have to you feel so safe to do it. But did you feel like you were taking drugs? <laughs> <laughs> the first one, my first experience where I really asked somebody to do that was with a lot of impact play. Yeah. And it and it I I didn't yet know how to use my safe words. And so like I just oh. had this power battle and was just like I'm not going to say red even though no. it hurts. So I couldn't sit for 2 weeks after that experience Good and I you. didn't quite get there. <laughs> Good for you. You're saying something, Dave, about your blueprint. <laughs> yeah, <maybe. laughs> and, then, and then I had somebody who was really good at psychological kink. And what she did was so brilliant. She she took a belt. I don't, nobody do this at home, please. She was an expert and there was lots of really, This is a serious warning. Like if, if you're going to do this kind of stuff, you need to like know what you're doing. And like I said, I just took a, a class with, with Kimmy. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I just, you can hurt someone's making them the wrong way, just to be close. So yes. Yeah. Or putting belts around their neck, which is what, what this scenario oh was. Gosh. So I had a belt yeah. around my neck and she had it in a door frame. So I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't move. Right. Cause I yeah. would choke myself for right. the total predicament bondage. And then she had mitts on my hands. So I had no use of my fingers. There were these big bulky mitt mm-hmm. things. And she said, and I'm an ch- achiever, you know, like I, I, if somebody gives me a task, I'm going to get that task done. And she was like, okay, well, your goal here is you have to get your bra off. And oh so my I'm sitting God. in my bra and I've got these mitts and I've got this thing around my neck, which is there's attached no to way. the door. So there's no way I'm going to get my, but I was going to try. And so I'm there, I'm trying all these different things to try to get this thing off. And I can't. And she's like, well, what will you, what will you do for me? to get this off. And, and I was like, I'll sing. So I, I sing her this song and she's like, that was very pleasing to me. And all she does is she takes my bra strap and she just like lowers it here on my arm and something inside me just went. And then I was out. I went, I went into that expanded state of consciousness because she gave me a task that was unachievable and something in my psyche my identity was so tied in that, that it just, everything in me let go at that moment. So, so some people hearing this are going, that's what? weird. And, <laughs> and, and just from a somatic therapy perspective and what all I know about it, there are lots of people who cannot surrender. They, they just do not know how to do it. And that's not something you do with your mind. It's something you do in your body. And when you're put in a situation where you realize you, you're safe because you could always stop it, but you can't win. There's no way, but you're still trying. And just to face failure without knowing what's going to happen, but to still feel safe, 
And then after all of that, to experience pleasure. What I see is happening is that you're in a, a vulnerable state, but when your your nervous system pairs vulnerability with a specific brain state that's caused by orgasm and pleasure, it starts to go, well, maybe this fearful state wasn't really necessary because it was paired with pleasure. So they start to come together. So you're less fearful in all of your life because it reduced the severity of the fear because this thing might also come with something that feels good afterwards. And what that means is you're less... It's it's harder to trigger you and you're less afraid than you were before all the time, even potentially years later. So it can be really cathartic and healing. And I've, I've seen this firsthand. Uh, and yeah, that ability to to just just to to feel safe enough to let go it, it's it's actually really a sacred thing i have a a friend who's we'll say into psychedelics very very well and for this person it was, it was the first time they'd ever gone into subspace and i was uh, providing that service for them you know in a in a space with you know partners present and you know not not actual sex at all just uh, like let's drop in and yeah after it maybe took 10 minutes. Uh, this was also impacting a little bit of pred- predicament. And all of a sudden, same exact thing. And it was, I've been on, I feel like I took something, mm-hmm. right? And it lasted for two weeks because wow, wow. imagine if you've just been stuck. And, and so I just look at this as, okay, you could go use psychedelics, but this is a path that's actually more natural than taking uh, the taking a drug. Yeah, because it's your own endogenous chemicals. Yeah. We have that pharmacy. And if we know how to tap into that pharmacy, and sometimes that's on the edge of identity, on the edge of psyche, like what you're talking about, where all of a sudden the dissonance, just something break, like, and I mean break in a good way, like something lets go, something in that dissonance and the psyche when we start to move into these spaces and the nervous system shifts and then you come out of it and you're at a new baseline. Your fear is not what it was anymore because all of a sudden you're not afraid of that thing because <laughs> you just failed. But it was yeah. pleasurable and it felt good. <laughs> and, and, I mean, if you want to be a good entrepreneur or good at relationships, learn to not fear failure. It, it just makes life so much better. And if this is your path, who's going who's gonna to judge that? And it's... It, it's part of a talk. I've been traveling around giving talks to very highly successful people. And, and it's a talk about psychedelics. And, and the first talk is, here's all the things you can do that aren't psychedelics to put you in the same state. And there's Tantra, there's conscious kink, there's breath work, there's uh, extended fasting. I, I mean, there, there's all kinds of things. And there's EMDR, right? And if none of that gets you there, then okay, there's an order of operations for psychedelics. But the idea that we're just going to say, oh, you know, I'm really successful. So I need to go to the most dangerous psychedelic, which is ayahuasca, probably, uh, maybe Datura is worse, but no one knows about that one. So, but okay, there's that. Uh, or, you know, maybe you should just get a good spanking or find a lover who's going to match your erotic blueprint and just launch into outer space. Tell me about the erotic blueprints. How many are there? And just give me the one sentence overview of each. Yeah, there's five erotic blueprints. The energetic is someone who's turned on by anticipation, space, tease, longing, yearning, not having the thing. That's energetic. <laughs> uh-huh. And the sensual is turned on by all of their senses being ignited. So that's taste, touch, smell, closeness, eating something delicious. 
the sexual is what we think of as sex in our culture, penetration, nudity, orgasms. And then we go to the kinky and the kinky is what we've been talking about. It's the taboo, it's impact, it's, but it's whatever's taboo for you. So it's that edge for you personally. In like kink. kale. So for me, like if someone tried to get me, it would be so taboo. <laughs> So it might blast you off into outer Take space. Take me with kale. I've been very bad. <laughs> uh, now I know. Now I know your secret. Now I know. Now I know the way in. <laughs> I'm just going to offer kale. <laughs> Have an orgasm and eat kale at the same time, Dave. Oh my, It'll that's, rewire okay, it. That's just rude. Okay, we're not going there. <laughs> That's a yellow. That's a yellow. That's a yellow. Okay. Right, right, right. That, that's safe word lingo. Most of the time, red means we have to stop now. Yellow means I'm getting close to my edge. And well, you don't really say it, but green means everything's good. So, green, good to go. Good to go. Um, and then there's impact oriented. So there's psychological oriented kink and impact oriented kink. And then and then the final one's a shapeshifter. And that's someone who's turned on by all of it. So. It's uh, it's all the ones that I just talked about, and they really have the superpower of being multilingual, so they can speak all the different languages. Great lovers, um, shadow side. All of them have shadow sides, but the shadow side of the shapeshifter is that they shapeshift all the time to please other people, and so they're not all the all the time all the way fed. Got it. Uh, spending a whole day uh, with with Kimmy Inch, learning your content through one of your uh, one of your instructors. Uh, was um, really uh, remarkable. Because I mean, I've read your book, I've done my surveys, I've had you on stage, right? Familiar with your work. But just talking through it and really hearing other people's stories about like how, oh my God, understanding that about myself like lets me finally ask for what I want uh, was really, uh, it was really uh, meaningful, I would say. I think everyone who who just got to go deep, it, it, it sort of unlocks this idea that Wow, I never recognized that pattern in myself. Now that I know the pattern, I know the areas where I can likely mine to find the richness in my intimacy, and then I can ask my partner for it. And your partner is going to be totally clueless, right? There's like, how would you know otherwise? You just sort right. of stumble into it. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's just like languages. You know, we we have this thing about sexual incompatibility, and I don't think that we're sexually incompatible. I don't think that we're mismatched. I think oftentimes we just don't have enough information about sexuality. And so, because we don't know the blueprints and, and then there's on our quizzes, the majority of people with vulvas, people who identify as women say that they are energetic and sensual. And the majority of people with cocks say that they are um, mostly shapeshifters, which was surprising, I think, to a lot of people, because a lot of people think sexuals would be what most men would identify as but they're really across the board. And so we've got these whole areas of our sexuality, especially with energetics. The majority of people have not even started to explore there or kinky, um, you know, that we're not, we're not learning in. So it's like a whole sex of sets of languages that we don't know how to speak. And oftentimes the pairing I see most is an energetic with a sexual. And that's, and I think that's just because they come to me because they, they're really struggling, but that pairing it seems like they're on two very, very different planets. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. 
But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD plus. It's what I use. Are you up for talking about your own unique pairing? I know we talked about it on stage, but... Absolutely. Part of your work in coming up with the erotic blueprint breakthrough is that... By the way, I didn't mention that you were on Netflix's series, uh, Sex, Love, and Goop, which is kind of cool. So I could have mentioned that during the the intro. But that whole situation with uh, erotic blueprints, you came across this in your own relationship. Tell me the story there of kind of how you discovered this and then what you did about it. Mm-hmm. So my partner, Ian, and I, we were about um, three, four years into our relationship and we started really struggling. It was a, our son was born. You know, anybody who has a new baby can attest to yeah. that whole time in life. The, the death of sex in most relationships for a year <laughs> yeah. or two. Yeah. yeah. But I was still very much sexually alive, but he really had a crash. And then we just were really struggling. And we got to the point where, you know, I'd come to bed at night and I'd initiate. And my way of initiating sex was like touching his genitals and saying, do you want to have sex tonight? And his way of initiating sex was cuddling. And I'd roll my eyes kind of like, oh, God, he's cuddling again. (laughs) (laughs) There's no woman ever except for (laughs) for Messiah, right? And he'd be like, you're so obvious. Like I was taking striptease class to try to, you know, like I'm in my G string doing the cat pounces and he's like, oh my God, you're so obvious. And so I didn't get, you know, this was before I really had this languaging and, and so I'm rolling to my, you know, rolling over and crying myself to sleep at night because I'm like the sex goddess. I'm like the sex expert. I can't get my own partner to have sex with me. Like what is wrong? And come to find out that, you know, if we, when we take the test, he's zero sexual. I'm zero kinky. Mm. He's highest in kinky. I'm highest in sexual. Very close to energetic. So that's a pretty rough uh, combination, right? We're complete opposites in the testing. Like completely. I was 5% sensual and he's kinky sensual. I'm sexual energetic. He's zero sexual and 5% energetic. (laughs) So we're literally flipped. And, And what's beautiful about it is, okay, so we're flipped. So now what? Well, I go learn kink. I go learn how to speak his language because he's primarily kinky. So let me go take classes. I mean, that's why my butt was black and blue for two weeks is because I was trying to learn I took all these classes I took you know just like learning from experts and going out and getting coached and and then what started to happen was then I would find things in the area of kink that actually did turn me on and so now we're finding our bridges we're finding that the if there's a Venn diagram you know we're finding the things in the center And then with energetic, he went and did a whole bunch of stuff just to expand himself energetically. Even though he didn't believe in it, he was like, I'm just going to keep saying yes. I'm just going to keep like feeling. What's an example of how you expand yourself energetically? Well, the thing that really worked for him was network spinal. Oh, yeah. I I do a lot of that. John John Amaral and Mark. Yeah, yeah. John and Christina. He went and worked with John and Christina. We did a weekend with them. And um, it was John Amaral who introduced me to your work years ago. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so we love them. And that workshop, I mean, they just, he just went for Ian and by the end of it, Ian could see the field. He could see energetic threads. And then I was like, Mm -hmm. I was so happy because, you know, now he can just see the energy and he knows how to like, okay, if I go here, her clitoris is going to sing. And if I go here, you know, her chest is going to lift and there's these orgasmic postures. And so people, when they watch Sex, Love and Goop, you can see some of that. And can he do this without touching you? Like just... Just like yeah. above you, yeah, yeah, so can, like not just you. done, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, so, so there's people listening, going, "That's not possible, guys." It is possible. Like I've seen John do it lots of times. You've experienced it. I learned how to do it, right? So when you're connected with someone and they feel safe and you feel safe, you can do stuff if you know how to manipulate your field, and it's it's remarkable. So I, I love it that that came into this. Yeah, Great. and the thing that's evolved over time is that Ian then was like, I want Jaya to beg for sex. And me begging for sex was like not a thing, but it turned his kinky on. Mm. And so he would use that. He would like play in my field and just keep playing in my field until I'm like begging, like, please ground, like, please touch me. Like, please, like, you know. And so he's used it as like a kinky way to kind of like keep playing with me. And then it evolved even more to like now listen. Now he's developing this like, listening in the field. So it's no longer this manipulation of my field. It's this like, oh, if I listen and I just go right there, then wow, you know, the ripples of ecstasy will just move through my body. Yeah. Wow. So that's an advanced practice for a relationship. You think you're going to get bored of it? Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is the thing, you know, I... I set out when I was really young, teenager, and I said, I want to just know everything that's erotically possible. Wow. Let me, I'm going to spend my lifetime discovering everything that is erotically possible. And I have not found the end to that discovery. I think I'm like, it can't get better than that. Like, I can, it cannot go any higher than that. I can't go any further than that. And then there's another, like, then I have another thing that takes me to a new place I've never been before. So. There's no end. It feels like any spiritual path. Right? You think I'm almost there, and you as though that was just a foothill, and then you you go down. Oh, there's another one, and, and that's okay. And that's also where you kind of have these sine waves over time. You know, uh-huh. like you you have you have a baby, and maybe things slow down for a little bit, and then they come back, and then you find new levels. And it's uh, it, it is a lifelong path. And when you see those interviews with really really old people, you know, they're in their 70s and 80s, and they just can't keep their hands off each other. And you're like, I bet you they had a much better than average life, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> They've this going for, you know, 60 years, some of them. And so it is possible. How many times when people come to you, whether it's, it's in your online classes or the speaking events, how many people are in uh, frustrated situations in their love life where they're just, they're not fulfilled? Is, is this almost everyone? It's almost everyone. You know, I, I've, I, it's something that saddens me in our world because I find that couples like to play a game. They like to play a game of suffering. And it's really interesting to see like, oh, here's their game. Here's their thing that they're playing. Here's the thing that they keep looping on over and over and over again unconsciously. And can we, you know, sometimes there's an existential kink. They just love that game and they want to keep playing that game over and over again. And, but I, love to ask the question of like, I really challenge people of, do you want to keep playing this? Because you're going to keep getting the same result over and over and over again. And you're not really spiraling out of it. You're, you're just looping in this thing. 
And part of it is lack of sex education. Part of it is the unconscious loop that we get into in relationships, the thing that we're maybe here to learn or break through. Right. Um, part of it is just, we forgot how to love each other. We, oh. we, we, Tell me more about know? that. What, how does that work? I think that as just humanity, we've, we've lost what it is to really love and care for each other. We can say, I love you, but are we really listening for what the other person needs in order to have them feel loved? I think that's a different question. Am I here to help you feel loved? Cause I can love you, but it doesn't mean anything if you don't feel that. And then, and then what is it to just be with another person in whatever is coming up for them without trying to change, fix or improve them? And then, and then the unconditional love to me is when you love you, then you get it. Then you, then the other people in your life get it. But if you're constantly trapped in your own soup of not loving yourself, then it's really hard to love other people because of I, all the things that are going on internally. I can't believe you'd pick on vegans like that. Just calling out, <laughs> not loving yourself. Chaya, that, that was so judgy of you. I, I mean... Uh. <laughs> By the way, that's one of my love languages is putting words in other people's mouths. So there you go. That must be my <laughs> you, then, you must, right? then you must love me. I'm so honored. <laughs> uh, but all, all kidding aside, um, you, it's easy to say I love you. My understanding of that after all the, the spiritual stuff that I've done over the last 25 years, um, you say it with your eyes and you say it with your heart and sometimes with touch, but you don't have to. It depends on you know, the nature of the love in the person. You know, you can put your hand on their shoulder or their partner, you hug them, but it's mostly a, a thing you generate in your field as far as I understand. Like love is a heart thing and, and they feel it and then they see it, uh, but it's the words don't even matter. You can say, I love you just with the look or heck, you know, I have some friends, I can send them loving thoughts and they'll text me and they know I did it. That's kind of crazy. That's how the world works, right? But these are friends, not lovers. I'm talking about just friends. Like, like when you really love in a certain way, it is feelable, at least by some people. Does that match what you've seen? Yeah, one hundred percent. Part of my daily practice is to send love through the field, especially to the people who I find challenging. <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay really, truly unconditional love. That means for all beings on this planet, you know, I'm okay. Today, my practice is Putin. You know, <laughs> like Today, I'm going to send unconditional love through the field to that human, um, regardless of the human's behaviors, not saying that the human's behaviors are okay, but yet I can still practice keeping my heart open and loving that challenging person or that challenging situation. I also do anything that's challenging in my own life. I, I have a dear friend right now who's dying of stage four cancer. And um, every day I just think about all the caretakers for people or people who are losing a loved one. And I send love through the field and relief through the field because then that helps me just connect with all the other human beings on that planet who are dealing with a similar thing and not feel so alone, but also to feel like, yeah, I can just send love and relief right through the field to them and for all of us who are caring for a loved one who's ill. What would you say if someone heard that and said, that's not possible, therefore you're deceiving yourself? 
I'd say, well, if you believe it's not possible, then it becomes not possible for you, you know? Um, and it's a very real reality for all of us who do experience that. And even if it's not possible, does it feel good? Does it still feel good to love other people and, and pretend that you're sending love through the field? Does that feel good? Great. Even if you don't believe it. That, that's the best answer. There are a meaningful number of people, including people who listen to the show, who sit on the spectrum. And, and I, I kind of joke about it. One end is we are meat robots, right? And like everything is mechanistic. Right? And then the other side is we are all energy. And if you're too meat robotic, you're like there is no such thing as love. And you're like Spock and Commander Data, right? And then on the other side of this is you're like the yoga teacher who can't be on time to their own classes because we're all in it together. And like you don't have food, right? Like, so you can go either direction too far. The biggest issue is if you want to sit on the meat robot side of things, you're going to be rational. And that means the most rational thing to do is to use the placebo effect of love that you believe cannot be real, yet you know the placebo effect is real because it is provably better for you to do these practices whether or not you believe they work. Furthermore, for you meet robots, who I very much appreciate because I once had that, that view of reality, choosing to believe in reincarnation is also the most effective way to pursue your life. Whether or not it's real it doesn't matter. and. The reason for that is that if you're wrong, you won't know it. But believing in it lets you lead a life of less fear. Hey, it's like a video game. I get to start it over again when I'm done. And it doesn't matter if it's real, right? I would say it probably is real given all the stuff I've experienced, but it, it's truly relevant. So if you are a hardcore rationalist, I challenge you. <laughs> <laughs> Live a life where you are happy. And you will find you walk around sending love and gratitude into the field, whether or not the field exists, whether or not you're self-deceiving yourself. And you're going to believe that you get to come back and do it again. Why? Because you lead a better life, even if it's just a one-time through. And that means you also should find your erotic blueprint and probably try all of it because you'll need that in a future life. And if this is your only life, you might as well have a lot of fun. Just saying. And why not make it more pleasurable? <laughs> <laughs> it's not like pleasure is a problem. How many yep. people actually think it is a problem, though? It, oh, it feels like a huge lot of amounts of people think it's a problem. I mean, we've been taught. The religion taught us don't have pleasure. We have a run, 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 run culture. Don't be in pleasure. You know, so I think that pleasure for a lot of people is a big, big, the, it's the P word. You know, I, you know what? I got in trouble for using the word pleasure really? and got completely shut down. Our entire business shut down for using the word pleasure. We got completely censored because we put pleasure in the subject of one of our emails and our whole business crashed because of using the word Who pleasure. shut you down for that? Google? Oh, it was email service providers. And then they yeah. threatened our email service provider for if we did business. I mean, it was a whole giant thing. And so, you know, we have a taboo. We have a taboo about pleasure, which also leads me to like states of consciousness. You were talking about people who are really rational. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Ken Wilber's work. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, He's been on the show. You know. Yeah. Uh, I love him. And uh, I've really put like a model too with the blueprints of kind of like the stages of development when he talks about the stages of development with the colors based on spiral dynamics, some of that. 
uh, for people who don't know, you know, like rational thinking is a very orange, they say it's orange thinking or sometimes blue with a lot of rules. And, and so I think about also sexuality the same way that the, the blueprints are like our stages of development. And then we have states of consciousness at the top. And these are our states and stages that we go into. And I think of sexual enlightenment, similar to Ken Wilber, where it's like, when we have unified states and stages, then we have sexual awakening or sexual enlightenment. But when it comes to sexuality, if you're super, super rational, and then you have a partner who goes into, is an energetic, and, you know, that would be like a sexual, you know, who's just like, it's the meat and potatoes. Sex is this, 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 you know, hump, hump, hump orgasm, we're all good. Um, you know, and then and then you get an energetic who goes into these transformational states, then you're, you know, if you're having this mismatch, we start have to start to just open up if we can. And again, who cares if it's real or not? Like my my partner Ian, who thought it was all BS, he's like, I'm just gonna keep saying yes. I'm just gonna keep saying yes until eventually he did feel it. That sounds like a very rationalist approach. Hmm. There's a lot of people who keep saying that they're doing something that I don't see and I don't know how to do. I could decide that they're all crazy, but since a lot of people say that's real, maybe I could learn that and then you become curious instead of fearful that your picture of reality is uh, maybe not complete. So I'm sure there's things that I'm learning and that you're learning to this day, and I expect to be doing that for a very long time. That's mastery. Mastery is when you realize you'll never stop learning. And I'll never stop learning about sexuality. I'll never stop exploring human consciousness and the tie between these things, all these different paths that take us into these realms unknown. After your experience in Paris, can you just induce an orgasm anytime you want? I had that ability before Paris. Yeah. <laughs> so, <Got it>. yeah. <laughs> I kind of came into this lifetime, you know, oh, speaking you can, of like this whole thing <laughs> from a past life or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I got you on that. Yeah. My, my first really like where that came from was I was in college in my twenties and, um, I started to be able to just think about it and then contract my pelvic floor. I would just like think about something really like exciting to me. It was usually something energetic that I couldn't have. Um, (laughs) And then I would just contract and relax my pelvic floor. And then I would send myself into an orgasmic um, wave, you know, moving through my whole body. And then I had a really big experience with a gay man, which is a very interesting story. He kissed my toe and it just shot kundalini through my body and uh we went into like holding each other and just weeping and like this whole thing unfolded where we just became one and we still to this day are just like that was like one of the most amazing highlights of our lives and ever since then i've been really really easily orgasmic wow it's uh, it's one of those things people probably don't talk about uh, that much Uh, yeah i years ago uh, at at burning man uh, a friend just did something above my head and like Every 15 minutes that whole night, I'm just riding my bike around going, you know, <laughs> switching. And I'm like, okay, guys, you're just going to have to deal with whatever's going on right now. It's not unpleasant, but I'm not dying and not having a seizure. Uh, and I'm yeah. talking non-ejaculatory stuff, but just like this yeah. energetic stuff. And I have no idea what um, got unblocked or anything. But uh, so, yeah, I'd, since then, it's, it's gotten more and more. And it's to the point, and I haven't talked about this on the show, but yeah, I can pretty much a drop of a hat 
it, it's, you know, one or two breaths and I will experience a whole body orgasm. And it's just a thing that's like, you can snap your fingers and you can do that. And I'm sure a lot of people are going, this isn't even possible. No, um, if you're bored in a meeting and you can do that, meetings are not boring. Yep. Just so saying. much more fun. Can it be more <laughs> pleasurable? A hundred percent. I just yeah. had like a few orgasms while we've been sitting here talking. I, I'm, I'm not <laughs> confirming or denying whether I did. <laughs> Uh, and, yeah. And so one of the things that I yeah. also learned, this reminds me, um, one of my mentors, his name is Kenneth Ray Stubbs. He actually just passed away this week. This, Kenneth this Ray past week. Stems, was it? Kenneth Ray Stubbs. Stubbs. Okay. Got it. Um, he just passed away this last week, but he was oh. in a wheelchair and um, he and I would just sit across from each other and we would do this thing where he was like, let's see if we can play with energy and see if we could start to become orgasmic. And um, we started doing that and it started developing a muscle, just like lifting weights at the gym. It's like, it just started to develop a muscle. And because he was paralyzed, it was such an interesting experiment because we could then inspire orgasm each other. And then it was like, okay, well, let's now try this at home where we're not sitting in front of each other. And and I'd wake up at four in the morning having an orgasm and I'd be like, Ray. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. and uh bless him you know he taught me so much and i am so happy that you're talking about that because that yeah that that's absolutely real um i i have uh uh i have noticed that that thing which probably starts out with the net, network spinal it is not constrained by distance at all right um so anywhere on the planet if you have a connection with someone and their consent um that's possible uh so Yep. And so I don't think you'll hear that on most podcasts and I'm definitely uh, dropping some personal info there, but yeah, it's, it's a thing and it is possible. And if you're listening to this going, did they just say that you can give someone else an orgasm from across the planet? Yeah, yeah actually you can. Right. And it takes a lot of work to, to get there. Or maybe it just takes one day of really good work. I don't know. Maybe I just took the long path. But uh, <laughs> it, it's, I don't know how to put words to it. I don't know how to explain it, but I know that I can do it and I'll get a text message. And that's a pretty good sign if the other person wakes up at four in the morning, the way you're describing. Uh, and it's an, a very advanced energetic skill. And it's not one that I sought out to develop at all. It's one that emerged. And, and this is really important for people who are on a, a spiritual path. That would be one of the, the yogic cities, which uh, Joe Dispenza, who's been on the show a couple of times, um, what he talks about uh, in his book and, and many others in, in books about that. These are energetic abilities that are well-documented for some people to develop on their way uh, of to developing more consciousness. But if you seek out the cities as goals, they just become like shiny distractions on the path. So mm -hmm. you're like, oh, look what just happened. That's <laughs> interesting, but it's not why you did it. And, and so... My advice for people who are new to any of these practices, do your erotic blueprint quiz. Learn something about yourself. Learn something about your partner or partners, whatever kind of relationship you're in. Ask new dates to do it. Trust me, they'll like it. right? And then you'll say, okay, let me just be curious and let me just see what unfolds. But don't be goal-directed in this stuff other than you know experiencing pleasure and bringing it to your partner. Uh, and and then stuff happens the way it's supposed to. If you like decide I'm going to remote control orgasm in the world, you probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> does, does that match your experience? 
<laughs> Absolutely, one hundred percent. It's like okay. as soon as you start to chase those cities or powers, you know, yeah. it will elude you. And again, distraction on the path. Yeah, but they come naturally. Yeah. If you surrender, if you allow, if yeah. you do the practices. Did you just say they come naturally? Mm-hmm. Just, just checking. Okay, Because <laughs> we all want everybody to come naturally. <laughs> <laughs> we got past the AI censorship. Awesome. Did we? Did we? <laughs> uh, I love that. I love when we can be tricky that way. That's so funny. <laughs> um, all yeah. right. Now, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting a question from uh, the Upgrade Collective. And by the way, guys, I don't talk about the Upgrade Collective uh, often enough on here. This is my uh, mentorship group. And you can go to ouropgradecollective.com and then they tune in and are in the live audience and they're actually typing questions and talking to each other um, over a chat for this. And uh, one of them, Chari, says, who was your teacher? You mentioned one of them. Is there another teacher that's worth calling out? Absolutely. So Kenneth Ray Stubbs, was one of the per- people who taught me a lot about energetic sexuality and erotic massage and many, many things in life. And then another mentor of mine was Joe Kramer, Joseph Kramer. And he created Body Electric mm. and also Sexological yeah. Body Work. It had a really big impact on me and, and my career and why I do what I do today. And then when it came to spirituality, uh, most recently I've been mentoring with someone named Sachin Raja. Mm. And uh, he has something called Transcendent CEO, which is people who are entrepreneurs who are also, you know, spiritually aligned and doing these kinds of practices. And he has had many years in Tantra as well. And one of the reasons why I hired him just because I I had been having these big ecstatic experiences even before Paris, and I was going into what he calls a lot of glow which is, you know, you talked about like the yoga teacher who can't be on time. Like, right. like you start to lose like life function when you start to lose identity. And um, I hired him because he had this model of glow, flow, and function. And glow is, of course, that samadhi state. It's that like spiritual awakened state. And then you've got flow, which is our practices, you know, doing yoga, doing our daily practices. And then function is, okay, I can still get on a podcast and talk to you, Dave. You know, like that is, I still have an ability to function. You, you could be dysfunctional. Like, like if I go into these really altered states, like I'm going to be, you know, muscularly contracting and making little gasping sounds that would not be appropriate for a board meeting, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> And and so I was really, because I was in so much glow, I just didn't care about anything. Like mm. I was just in, you know, uh, fortunately my business was still thriving. Fortunately, you know, life was still going. I have people around me who are really amazing to help take care of things that are in the function realm. But I really wanted to master all three. And so that I had balance and not just all glow, but, you know, have my daily practices still which I didn't care about at that time because it's like, well, why do a daily practice? It's all this. Um, and so, and then also the function part, which I still delegate a lot, but it's, it would, that was really important to me to ground it all back into body and ground, ground all of this ecstasy back here. And that was something that Sadhan Raja helped you with. I, I've come to know a, a great number of CEOs, uh, particularly of mission, uh, mission-driven companies. 
And because they come to 40 years of Zen for neurofeedback, uh, or I'm working with them in, in the Apollo group with uh, Vishen Lakhiani and Naveen Jain, my, my really big mentorship group. And, and you find a common thread uh, where they're on a, a path of creation. And, and I think they're attracted to this kind of work because our erotic energy is creation energy. Right? And whether you're a man or a woman, it, there's different masculine and feminine dynamics around creation. But if you're going to build something really big and you don't have any creation energy and you're not nourishing your creation energy, it's, it's like pushing a rock uphill. It's, it's not rewarding. It's really hard. And when you just realize there's some little twist in how you manage your own self, it feels like the the business world becomes more fulfilling at worst and at best case and more likely case, it becomes more successful too. So the, the really big dogs are either stumbling into this or consciously doing it because they're realizing they need to or because they heard it from a friend. Uh, I'm a little concerned that, that a lot of them are kind of falling for the ayahuasca is going to get me there. And I, I think it, it's, even though I've done it a couple of times, you know, I, I did it in 1999 uh, when it wasn't a tourist industry with with a real shaman, and I've just I've seen a lot of harm come from that. What's your take on uh, on the risk of psychedelics for people who are looking for that creation energy? Yeah, I think we can get lost in the tool. Yeah, one of my favorite. Word. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes is Alan Watts. You know, he's like, I looked in the microscope, I saw the thing, and I'm not quoting directly. <laughs> so this is this just. I looked at the microscope, I saw the thing. And then you mistake the microscope for the thing or the finger pointing at the moon is not the moon. And I think so many people get trapped in the tool as the thing and they keep returning to the tool without integrating fully or embodying fully um, what the tool has shown them or given them. So one of the ways that I I talk with my clients, because I I also work with a lot of uh, entrepreneurs who are very excited about all of these things, and 100% sexuality and sexual energy fuel. It is fuel for your creativity. It is fuel for your life force. Um, it is like throwing gasoline on a fire if you really know how to transmute and how to utilize that energy um, effectively. I love Think and Grow Rich, um, chapter oh, yeah. 11. He talks about creating awakened genius in the brain through transmutation of sexual energy. And so I think a lot of people miss that chapter. <laughs> I was like, do you know chapter 11? Um, so there's that aspect. And then there's the aspect of, again, all the endogenous chemicals are in our bodies. And if the tool keeps telling you the same thing over and over again, it means you haven't integrated. So if you go to ayahuasca and she tells you the same thing again, you see the same thing again. You, she's just going to keep saying the same thing until you go and you integrate those things and take a break from the tool for a while. So don't let the yeah. tool use you. That, man, you, you said it just right. Don't let the tool use you. And I, I kind of feel bad. Um, there, there's guys, uh, like, like probably the biggest name known for this is Aubrey Marcus, like 87 times. When are you going to know it's not working? And like, you got to do the other work, right? right, right. I feel like, like we're not treating those tools with respect. We're also not treating sensuality and erotic energy with respect either. Yep. But erotic energy won't get mad at you and punch you in the face. As, as someone who's done initiatory shamanic training, ayahuasca will punch you in the face if you're not respectful. <laughs> like yep. it, it has a consciousness behind it. And so like maybe more caution and respect is warranted in that space 
then we're uh, that then then people are are offering it at this point. So I I would just be very cautious with that. And the integration because you're in an altered state, you forget ninety percent of it, but your ego remembers everything. So you get stronger and stronger ego responses that are more and more invisible. You remember everything that happens to you in the bedroom because you're not on drugs except the ones your body made and your partner is there with you and you talk about it afterwards, at least if you have good aftercare. Uh, and then you you get all the benefits of whatever journey you took, right? And and that that feels more pure. It doesn't create uh, any neurological weirdness. Uh, so I'm not opposed to going to the jungle and, you know, finding someone who's really qualified because they spent a decade with you know, a tribe learning, you know, the intricacies and the dangers of a medicine. Fine. But, you know, if you're going to do 87 times, uh, man, <laughs> I, I think some darkness will enter uh, from something like that. And that leads to the next question, though. Jaya, when people are in these ecstatic altered states, What's the spiritual risk? I mean, do does it have the same risk as psychedelics? I mean, people talk about some of the more esoteric stuff. I mean, you just said you can, you know, you can have remote control orgasms just with someone's mind. So what's the, the, the dark side of that? I mean, can you use that for not good? Can others, are there, I don't know, ghosts that jump into you when you're in the height of orgasm? But like, what, tell me the weird spiritual stuff that you wouldn't really talk about. <laughs> Well, I think one place to start, and uh, then I'll get to the weird stuff, is is are you how are you consciously utilizing any tool, sex, psychedelics, <laughs> you know, breath work? Is it recreational or recreational? And this was something that I learned from my shamanic teacher. Ooh. He's like, we've taken all these things that are recreational, music, dance, sex psychedelics and we've made them recreational and in that is an inherent danger that's where they bite you because like you said these are things to be respected in a in a sacred container and so um yeah some i have very interesting stories of of very interesting things you know just uh agora tantra if you get into some of that those teachings I'm reading Agora right now, actually, um, a book about it. And this is a three-part series about it. And, you know, they talk about, because they do this fast path and they go to like the cemetery and they do uh, their sadhana, their practice in the cemetery and so, or, or in the creation ground. And there are all kinds of spirits flying around. And so they talk about the dangers inherent of like, you don't want to get like some really wild, wild stories. So if you're interested in those wild stories now, personally, I have seen things where um, people go into really ecstatic state and they start speaking in tongues, uh, entity entering kind of type things during uh, really heightened states where all of a sudden somebody's there who wasn't, isn't the person embodying um, inside. Uh, dance where a deity comes in and all of a sudden they're doing dance and things that they've never been able, like mudras and hand. These are people who've never done any kind of study of mudras or India and dance or anything. And all of a sudden they're able to do uh, dance uh, after Paris. I could read Sanskrit, which I've never ever like and write it. It, it went away, but like, wow. I was just like, what? So there's languages sometimes people will be able to speak that they couldn't speak before. 
Um, yes, there are there are things like that that can that can happen. They're infrequent. I wouldn't say this is all the time, and I wouldn't say, "Hey, don't be afraid to like go into these expanded states." Um, but be conscious that you 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 can have spiritual boundaries as well. Like, hey, nobody gets to come into my body and field while I'm this open. Yeah, and that's something you either hire a shaman for or another energy worker who's skilled or you learn the skills yourself. Um, if I'm exposed to stuff like that, I have people I work with and I have for many years to help keep my field clean. And you ask me, Dave, what are you talking about? Because I don't mess around. I, like, I'm a computer hacker. Like, like There are things that you can't see. If you don't believe me, get a radar detector and drive around to see how often it beeps. You can't see it, but it's there. So... There are lots of things you can't see, and that's just a part of reality. And the fact that a lot of people for thousands of years have been describing the same things means maybe sometimes they're there, and you should probably be a little cautious, even though you may not ever run into something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, in fact, yeah, it's why in the tantric methuna they draw a sand circle. You know, like let's protect ourselves energetically as we're going into embodying Shiva and Shakti and going into cosmic union, you know, let's just, I'm like, let's do all the things. I don't, I, I, I love <laughs> it. You're, you're just so cool. Um, when I did ayahuasca in 1999, I, you know, I, I was very new to this and I went down to Peru and I said, you know, I, I want to try this. And they looked at me and they said, you're white. I said, yeah, I know. Uh, I said, it's for locals only. You'll, you'll throw up. You won't like it. I said, no, I, I've, I've done my work. I know what I'm looking for. And, you know, I, I found thankfully uh, the right shaman. And exactly that. He put a stone circle around us and I didn't even notice. And so I finished a little early because I tend to you know, have a resilient system that can handle a lot. So I said, I'm going to go for a hike. And he's like, no. And he almost tackled me. I said, look, I'm fine. I can touch my nose. Like I, I'm, you know, I, things are a little altered, but I, I just want to go for a walk. He said, you don't understand. That stone circle isn't to keep you in. It's to keep the other things out. out. And if you go out there, <laughs> I'm going to have to clean you up and it's a lot of work. I'm like, I'm just going to take him seriously this time because I think that's all nonsense at the time I did. Uh, and I just, you know, I'm grateful I was with someone who knew what they were doing. So um, the same could be true of, of, of sex, especially if you're hanging around graveyards and things. Guys, I, I didn't believe any of this uh, when I was young. I was raised, you know, mostly atheist slash agnostic. I just study things with direct experience with masters all over the planet. And you should practice caution around these open states, including sex. If you're super open, you know, you can just say an intention ahead of time uh, or work with an energy worker. And, you know, uh, if if you're going to go in and edit your own settings, which is what I believe you were doing with psychedelics, Tantra, any of the altered states work is changing your body's way of viewing reality. So getting in and seeing the world the way your body does instead of the way your little mind does. And uh, yeah, just you should have some some caution and some protections in place. And that includes sex, but I just feel like intimacy is way less risky than propping the door open with a psychedelic, even though um I've you know I've been talking about psychedelics since you know the first five shows uh ten plus years ago and four hundred million downloads later, still talking about them. So I'm I'm a fan, but I'm a conscious fan, not a, a not a recreational. I'm on the recreational side as I know you are. Okay. Wow, that's uh, I love it that you uh, you went there. I don't know that I would want to meditate in a graveyard. Uh, that that's you're you're going to the deep places. Uh, with, <laughs> with it, it's pronounced agora, but it's spelled agori. Why is is that just a Sanskrit thing? I'm not sure. I think an agori is somebody who practices it, isn't it? 
and an agora oh, I, is the I, I wouldn't know. I was just looking at that. Yeah, the only surviving sect from the Kapalika uh, tradition. So, like eighth century Indian. This reminded me of uh, uh, Daniel P. Brown, uh, the hypnotism and attachment theory professor from Harvard, was on the show a while ago. He said, oh, yeah, in my spare time, I translate 13th century Sanskrit cave meditation instructions and put them on Amazon. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is a Harvard guy. Yeah, that's what they do. So there's all this ancient knowledge that was, you know, really, uh, really esoteric, but it's all out there. And so it's funny, you're studying an 8th century form, which is even older than that. But it it says here that, okay, the Agori practice post-mortem cannibalism. Yeah, I mean, like, so it's all of the taboo. What? So it's super interesting. Like, it's like they go with what is most taboo. And so whatever we've made taboo is what becomes part of the practice. And so it gets associated with all kinds of really interesting things like cannibalism and, um, you know, urine and feces and, you know, like we're going to the really taboo aspects. They eat, they eat out of skulls they find in the graveyard and it might have little bits of brain in it still. I mean, this is what they're talking about in the, but you're, you're not practicing those things. This is the ancient lineage. No, it is not something that I'm really interested in. Like to me, it's, it's fascinating. I love the stories. I love like the, the philosophies behind some of it. And there's also like, you could utilize it as visualization, you know, like, no, I'm not ready to go to India and do ceremony on top of, you know, cremated, you know, the crematoriums and eating my breakfast out of a skull that's fresh that might still have bits of brain in it. (laughs) I'm not uh, into that, but I love the stories and I find it absolutely fascinating. And I I, want to be really clear here too. Some people would hear that and go, that is absolutely satanic. And there are satanic sects out there. I've, I've come across them, not sects, S-E-C-T-S out there. I, I've, I've come across them. They're, they really, this is not that. The, these guys were about making the things that were the most repulsive. So this is a polarity play. It's, it's like the most repulsive, most horrifying, most never. And then saying, even those... I am not going to allow that to trigger me. So they were like figuring out how do I how do I sit in my space um, that that space where nothing on earth can take me out of it, even that, right? So this was just the practice of presence versus a practice of worshiping, you know, bad things uh, and satanic and all that kind of stuff. Just just a different thing to be like. I am able to hold my space no matter what's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking the darkness in the world and transmuting it into light. That's a big part of the practice is how do I take the suffering in the world? How do I take death? How do I, how do I face this thing that nobody wants to talk about or look at and actually transmute it into unconditional love, transmute it into the light? And that's what I love about it. Because, I mean, look at our world right now. We have so much that is going on in the world that's amazing and beautiful. And we have so much polarization of the opposite, war and death and darkness, sickness. And can we sit with that, hold it? You know, that's what the tantrika is. It's like, I'm going to hold the meat because meat was so taboo. You know, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to hold the meat. 
And in the Tantric Mythuna, they have the five forbiddens. It's meat, fish, wheat, wine, and sex. And those were the five forbiddens. Hold on. So How I just, are you supposed to have good sex without meat? That's ridiculous. <laughs> you don't have enough energy. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. <laughs> and, so, and so this idea of like, can I hold this thing that's so taboo? Can I be with it? Can I transmute it? Can I utilize this? Yes, this too, even this. And I think that that's a lesson for us in terms of like even our own aspects of ourselves that we push away. No, I'm not allowed to be angry. No, I'm not allowed to feel sad. No, I'm not allowed to be in this grief right now. Oh, I'm not allowed to be agitated or anxious as opposed to go, well, let me sit with that. That's the practice, you know, even though we're, they're talking about these eighth century things that were really, really, you know, sitting with the taboo, but it's like, how about this, the practice of sitting with your anger and your rage? That's the meat. That's, that's the skull cap that you're eating out of, you know? It, it's learning to sit in a, in a state of reverence, no matter what's happening. And sometimes I think if you take it back to the bedroom, you know, if your partner wants whatever the heck they want, okay, I am going to hold space for that and have a reverence for that because it's doing something, even if like, that's just weird. It, it's okay. People are pretty weird, but look at the benefits of it. Okay. Like it's, it's, that, it's that state of non-judgment where it doesn't matter what's happening. Like you are where you are. And that leads directly to success in business and success in life because you get to choose your state no matter what's happening. And funny, the definition of biohacking, change the environment around you and inside of you so you have full control of your own biology, which includes its state. That's why meditation and that's why erotic blueprints and I'm willing to talk about um, conscious kink and tantra. And yes, you just brought up urine therapy. Uh, not something that I'm a huge fan of. Did I try it years ago when I read a book about it? Yeah. Uh, I'd rather drink coffee. Thank you very much. But look, I don't, I'm non-judgmental, man. I'll try anything that's going to make me live longer, feel better, have more energy. Like that's those are precious. So I think your work uh, stands out as uh, foundational. I think it's as important as the love language work. It's one thing to know how someone experienced love because you gave them a gift or gave them a hug, right? And and that's okay. But if that same person is your partner. And you can let them feel love because you bought them a present. And then you get into the bedroom and you're, I don't know, in, in your case, you're just trying to, to nail him. And he's like, I just need a spanking. Then why don't you learn that too? Because sex and love can come together. They don't always. But knowing the playing field, just having a map and saying, where on the map am I? I think you've done, like you've come up with something I've never seen before. And it's super cool. Mm, so thank, thank you, you, Jaya, for your cool thank work. You. And it's eroticbreakthrough.com or breakthroughs.com with an S or no S? Blueprintbreakthrough.com. Your new book is called Your Blueprint for Pleasure. Discover the five erotic types to awaken and fulfill your desires. Kind of a mouthful. So I'm just going to say your blueprint. Your blueprint for pleasure. (laughs) And people can get it. Does this anywhere books are sold or is it only on your website? Yeah, anywhere books are sold. Okay. So guys probably you could go to that big evil bookseller in the sky or you could go to an indie bookstore which is totally cool uh, or another large chain bookstores really really matter the reason is that it's hard to reverse censor printed materials so any book like this depending on where we go in the next couple years in the world uh, either these books will be everywhere or they'll have been edited to replace all of the juicy bits with the names of vegan foods like eggplants 
So let's hope that doesn't happen, but I highly suggest that you pick up a print copy of the book, Your Blueprint for Pressure. Why am I saying pressure all the time? Pleasure. <laughs> there you go. Daya, thanks again. Uh, oh, it's been such a pleasure. And thank you for having such a candid conversation and sharing your own stories too. It's really, I think it's important, you know, as leaders to to speak vulnerably about these places that are so taboo that we don't want to talk about. It gives other people permission. Yeah, it does. So guys, uh, I would I would recommend you practice this. Even if you're single, just do some reading and you will find the next time you have a date, there'll be a different date. It's, uh, it's absolutely worth it. And Jaya's on to something. See you all soon. If you like this episode, I always appreciate support. You can go to dangercoffee.com and pick up some of that. Or if you have an Upgrade Labs in your neighborhood, go there or maybe start one. Go to ownandupgradelabs.com. Or just, I don't know, give someone a hug and send them love with your eyes and your heart and do that kind of stuff. That makes the world a better place too. Just do something for yourself or another to be better. Thank you. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.